thanks. My name is Doyle, and uh, I am a very grateful Al-Anon. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say a lot of things about Al-Anon. But Fred told me what an Al-Anon, what a male Al-Anon really was, and that's a shaven sister, and I've never heard that. <laughs> and apologize to Lou for not wearing a dress. Oh, that was distress. <laughs> I was distressed when I came to this program. You know, that's the only way I got here was nowhere else to go. And I identify with uh, what Hollis said last night about growing up when you're poor and and I left home at uh, about 18 years old, and we still didn't have uh, indoor plumbing. But I could identify with what he had to, to say about the hard times. I, I grew up in western Oklahoma. I'm a genuine Okie. And uh, you know, I can remember one time if somebody called me an Okie, I would have really got upset about that. But uh, just what I am. But anyway, uh, those five of us kids, I had a sister older and one younger, a brother, and then a baby sister. We grew up in cotton patches there in western Oklahoma, and uh, I had one desire growing up, and that's get the heck out of western Oklahoma, just kind of like Hollis was wanting to get out, I believe he said West Virginia. But I just had all of those cotton fields I could stand. And I can remember... Uh, Way, way back as a kid, it uh, seemed like it was really, really easy for me to get my feelings hurt. And it's not even too hard today, but uh, I'm a little better at it today than I was then. But I can remember one time we was, I was over at a neighbor's house and uh, was going to go to town on Saturday. And back then you took the eggs and you took the cream down to the local town and uh, sold them and uh, bought sugar and flour and all of the staples. So this guy's name was Howard Black, and uh, and his son Harvey and I were really, really good friends, and I was over there, and we was going to go to town this Saturday, and and Howard uh, turned the corner too fast, and he spilled the cream, and, and at that time, I really didn't talk too plain, and, and sometimes I don't talk too plain now, but uh, I said, Howard, I said, uh, you spilled cream on my foot, and they started laughing. And I began to cry. He'd hurt my feelings. And the more I cried, the more they laughed. And I said, well, it ain't funny. <laughs> but I can remember even way, way back in my childhood that uh, it was very, uh, I was very, very sensitive. And uh, I can remember one time I was in school, about the first grade. And back then, why I, I went by the name of Buddy because my older sister couldn't say Doyle. And... Uh, there's not too many Doyles, but anyway, uh, she called me Bud and Buddy, and uh, so I was in class that day, and and some, for some reason, you know, I was chewing on my Crayolas, and and uh, this teacher came back and said, Buddy said, uh, you chewing on your Crayolas? I said, no, ma'am. She said, let me see your mouth. I said, open your open your mouth. Well, that's a dead giveaway, you know, Crayola's all over my teeth. <laughs> 
she took me to the cloakroom, and she pre- proceeded to hurt my feelings, too. <laughs> it seemed like uh, it was very easy for me to, to get in trouble at school, uh, just innocent, you know, and uh, I had one teacher, I think, because she really enjoyed just giving me paddlings, but, uh, but anyway, I can remember growing up, uh, and we raised hogs and we raised cattle and we picked cotton and we did all that stuff. And as, as we'd pull cotton and uh, get a load of cotton, why, uh, me and my dad would take cotton to, uh, to town on, on, uh, at night, maybe sometime through the week. And, and my mom would always send me with my dad to take that cotton off because any time he went to town without her or somebody, why, he might take a drink. So she sent me along to make sure that my dad didn't drink. And we'd go to town and haul that cotton off to town. And uh, so he'd immediately, he'd send me to the movies. And, and so he'd go to the bars and he'd drink. So we'd get home. Dad didn't get in trouble. I got in trouble. I got in trouble for letting Dad drink. So I grew up uh, disliking alcohol very, very much because, number one, it got me in trouble all the daggone time. And I don't know whether my dad was an alcoholic or not, but I know when my dad drank, he drank too much. And when he drank too much, then uh, it created problems in our family. So I grew up in a family that was full of chaos and, and uh, unease, and uh, I had a mother that was a very domineering mother, and uh, I'm attracted to very domineering women. And, But I can remember, uh, you know, growing up, not feeling a part of, uh, going to school and not feeling a part of anything, uh, going out on class picnics and parties and not feeling like I was one of the group. And it wasn't until I came into this fellowship that I actually began to feel a part of. I, I was around people that uh, understood, people that, uh, that I understood. But anyway, <clears throat> finally I uh, graduated out of high school and I went on wheat harvest and uh, came back from wheat harvest where I decided I needed to go to college and I started college down at a little junior college in uh, western Oklahoma called Sayre Junior College. And uh, one uh, Monday, January the 10th of 1955, why there's the most beautiful snow that uh, that I'd ever seen. And uh, so they came to class, and this guy said, say, I need you to go with me over to Elk City. He said, your dad has uh, been hurt in a car wreck. So on the way over, why, he told me that my dad hadn't only been hurt, that my dad had been killed in that car wreck. And uh, I was 18 at that time, and, and I really had mixed emotions. You know, I, I did not know whether to be happy or whether to be sad because of the problems that the alcohol had caused in, in the family. And uh, I can remember growing up, you know, uh, one time I made the statement to my, to my mother that, uh, you know, if my dad ever came home drunk again, that, that I was just going to whip his butt. And so she didn't uh, let her shirt hit her back until she told my dad what I'd said. And, uh, so then he comes home one night, you know, all messed up, and and uh, 
literally drags me out of the bed and drags me out into the yard and and uh, and I had to proceed to try to defend myself and this is the most humiliating thing that I ever did in my life is have to stand up against my dad so I lived with that for many many years of, of uh, what had happened between he and I and, and our relationship had never ever been right and then he gets killed and all of this is still just unsettled. But anyway, uh, I'm going to school uh, there at that junior college, and uh, my dad had gotten killed. And uh, so one day, my uncle came through there from from Pampa, Texas, and uh, he said, "Say, Bud, said if you ever need any help, said uh, just let me know." And I said, "All right." So this is 1955, and. Uh, I decided that I didn't want to go to school anymore. I just packed my sack, my two pair of underwear, and one pair of blue jeans, and I hit the road and went to California. I got out to California, then I decided that uh, I didn't like it out there, and that I'm sure that my mom needed help, and and uh, I had the sweets on a little gal back in western Oklahoma, so I just turned around and came back to Oklahoma in 1956. And when I got home, my mom had remarried, and, and uh, you're not going to believe this, but she'd, re, she'd married an alcoholic. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I go back to the, go out to, to this, where this girlfriend of mine was going to school over at Weatherford, Oklahoma, and uh, god dang, she's out with some other dude. So I just turned around and I, decided, you know, I believe uh, maybe my uncle can't help me. So I go out to Pampa, Texas, and this is a, in the spring of 1956. And I worked in the oil fields. I uh, worked in his laundry. I, I did everything in the world, and, and it just seemed like my life was totally unsettled and just about a, a mess. And so one day he said to me, he said, say, he said, Bud, said, would you like to go to, back to school? I said, oh, I'd love to. He said, where would you like to go? And I said, well, I'd like to go to Oklahoma State. He said, well, I'll tell you what. said, uh, I'll help you go to school. But said, if I help you, you're going to go to Texas Tech. I said, that's exactly where I want to go. <laughs> so he loaded me up and hauled me down to Lubbock, Texas, and uh, got me enrolled in Texas Tech. And... Uh, Started majoring in dairy manufacturing in summer of 1957. I went down to Pure Mill Company in Waco, Texas, and uh, worked at uh, Pure Milk that summer. And that summer I met uh, a young lady. And then in the spring of 1958, she and I got married. And finally I finished uh, college at Texas Tech in 1959. And, uh, and uh, about 10 days before I graduated out of Texas Tech, uh, I got a brand new son, and I'm absolutely the most happiest guy in the world. You know, here's a guy like Hollis was saying, who could believe an old boy out of the cotton field in western Oklahoma could ever get through Texas Tech out at Lubbock, Texas. Uh, you know, I was somebody. I had I had a nice wife, and I had a son that uh, I absolutely worshipped, and, uh, and I set out at that time to be... Uh, the perfect husband, the, the best father, the, the best dad, and uh, 
I was going to be to my son and my kids to what my dad had not ever been to me. So anyway, I graduated out of Texas Tech, and we went to Houston, Texas. And uh, while we were in Houston, Texas, we had another son and, and had a daughter. And finally, after we had the daughter, we figured out what was going on and what was happening. And, and uh, But we had uh, the three kids, and, and it was just like, you know, about 18 months apart. So I spent three years working for Carnation Company in Houston, Texas. I had uh, graduated out of Texas Tech with a degree in uh, dairy manufacturing. So I go down there and, and uh, spend three years in training, and I begin, I was going to begin to think I was going to spend the rest of my life being a trainee. And uh, so finally in 1962, uh, I had a job offer in Waco, Texas, and that's where Nita, uh, that's where her folks lived. And so we loaded up the kids and all of us went to Waco, Texas, and uh, and set out to be the all-American family. We bought a house in Waco, Texas, and it's one of those that uh, you need to put up a reflect or something, you know, when you drove down the street at night to make sure you can find your house because they all looked alike. <laughs> and we was very, very proud of that. And one other thing, you know, we went to church every Sunday. We did exactly what ever all-American family is supposed to do. Proceed to raise those kids right and do what we're supposed to do. We didn't go out dancing. We didn't go out drinking. We didn't do none of that because her dad, too, I think, was an alcoholic because when he drank, he drank too much. So we're doing everything we're supposed to do. And in 1970, why well, I get a job offer in uh, Oklahoma, and uh, it's to be a, a plant manager up at uh, Gilt Edge Dairy, where I'm presently at. And this is what I had set out in my job to do is to, to run a milk plant. That was my, one of my desires, one of my goals. And uh, so we moved to Norman, Oklahoma in 1970 and still, you know, it's an all-American family. But uh, what's happened is uh, Nita has gotten more and more into kids and I've gotten more and more into work. And I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm like well, a workaholic. I absolutely love my job. I could spend hours at this place because there I could escape all reality. I didn't have to think about anything except that job, that work, and, and what I was doing. I didn't have to go to church no more because I could tell her that all I had to do, I had to go to work. I had to go to the plant. I had to check it out. So it was her and the kids, and it was me and work. And I guess like maybe 19... 76. <clears throat> Our older son's like maybe 15. And Nate and I and uh, all of my brothers and sisters had gone to the Oklahoma State Fair and was having a really, really good time up there. And, and our kids was uh, staying with my mom. She was keeping them. And our older son, he's maybe like 15. And so when we get back to my brother's place in Oklahoma City, why, there's a telephone call from my mom. And she says, uh, you need to really, you need to come back to Norman really quick. Says uh, your son's been in uh, some guys has whipped up on him, so we hurried up and we got back home and go to the hospital. And there he is in the emergency room. And so we get to question, you know, what's happened? And and uh, 
They said, well, they some older guys whipped up on him and another kid and said they make, made him and this other kid drink all this uh, vodka, all this cherry vodka. <clears throat> and I said, well, I got let's find them. You know, anybody, <laughs> anybody whip up on my kid and make him drink cherry vodka, by damn, you know, we need to find them. Come find out there wasn't nobody made my boy drink that cherry vodka. And they didn't nobody lay a hand on him. It was a sidewalk what beat the hell out of that boy. <laughs> anyway, I began to lose a little bit of trust. And uh, so this, this happened, and then later on this Something else happens, and then later on there's something else happens. One night I get a telephone call about midnight, and a, a guy that worked for me at the, the plant says, "Say, said, uh, your kid and other kids got into the plant and, and hauled off the vending machines and stole all of the money. And, and uh, I said, you kidding? He said, no. So I go down to the police station, and I said, hey, said, uh, this is, what my kid's done, so what can I do to, so he won't get in trouble? Well, I said, go get him, and uh, and he'd left home by this time. He's like 17 years old, and and he won't live at home now, and, and uh, found out that he's living in a sleazy motel up the street from the plant, and uh, so go up there to get him, and to go get the vending machine so that we can bring the vending machine back to the plant and, and keep him out of trouble. And, and so I get up there, and about that time, uh, his buddy calls the law, and, and here drives up the law, and they said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting my kid, and we're going to go get this vending machine, and says, uh, keep him out of trouble. He said, just keep your hands off of him. I said, hell, man, he's 17 years old. I said, he's my son. I said, we don't care. I said, uh, you keep your hands off of him or we'll lock you up. I said, you kidding? He said, just try us. So anyway, it wasn't too long after that why my younger son, he was getting in trouble too, and, and uh, they had him down to juvenile hall. And I, but by dang, I've learned from this. They called and they said, your boy's down here. I said, you come and get him. I said, no, I don't have to do that. <laughs> said, yep. Said, you come get him or said, we're going to get you. <laughs> said, said we'll get a court order against you. Frustration had set in. <laughs> so we find out that after, tr after our son gets in trouble about the vending machine, so he's got to go to the counselor. And they said it'd be good for you and your wife to come down and go to counselor with us, with him. So about the first time or two, we all three go down there, my my son and Nita and I, and wasn't too long why she's too busy to go. Wasn't too long he wouldn't show up. Here I am, the only one down there with the counselor. <laughs> and uh, I'm saying, God dang, what am I doing here? I hadn't even done anything. So we find out from this gal that uh, probably that if we could take him to a treatment center and get him in a treatment center that uh, we could get him cured. And uh, we were for that. But we found out that uh, 
say Oklahoma, they didn't recognize alcoholism as being a disease, so what we need to do is take him all the way to Minnesota because they recognized alcoholism as a disease and, and uh, our insurance would cover it in Minnesota. So we loaded that boy up and hauled him to Minnesota. Totally positive that he would be cured when we got him out of that treatment center. So we come back, but while we were there, they said, hey, said, uh, if you and your wife will go to Al-Anon, said, you'll help, you'll help him. By dang, we need to do that. Because <laughs> we're going to do anything and everything we can to help our kids. So we started Al-Anon. But it wasn't too long the kids started doing the same thing he'd been doing. So there wasn't no need of us going to Al-Anon because by God, that wasn't helping him. <laughs> so we quit going. And uh, so then the second time why uh, the older boy, he said, decides that, uh, say, I'm going to, I need to go to treatment. So we load him up and we haul him back to Minnesota. And we're totally sure this time it'll take because he's going on his own. Well, that time while we were there, <clears throat> we took him home, but we left Mark because they said Mark is worse, worse shape than Mike. <laughs> That's the younger son. So we, we uh, took one, left one. Went back home, and it wasn't too long that uh, Mike was getting back into trouble. And I can remember, we even, we even made a geographical. We moved out of Norman down to the little town of Washington, Oklahoma, because we knew, because Mike, he loves sports, that we could get him into football and basketball, and, and, and that would take cure his problem. And then Mark, he liked animals, so we'd get him into FFA and 4-H, something like that, and, and get him animals, and, and then he'd be okay. And our daughter, Melanie, she just kind of went with the flow. It didn't matter anyway. So we moved down to the little town of Washington. Well, the only difference between Washington and Norman is now everybody in Washington knows what's going on, where in Norman they didn't. Because <laughs> they kept doing the same old thing. But anyway, we're at uh, living in Washington now, and uh, and one night our daughter's going to be uh, crowned band queen, so we're going to go to the football game that night, and this is a really, really exciting thing because, you know, uh, us being proud parents like all of us want to be or are. But that day, I get a call from my son Mike, and he's down in Texas, and he's got in trouble, so he's going to have to spend some time down there. And here I am, getting ready to go to a football game, which should be a very, very happy thing for me to do. I don't know whether to be happy or whether to be sad again. I've got a kid being locked up and I've got a daughter being crowned band queen. So anyway, he spends time down in Texas, and you're totally sure this time, after he spends the time down there, that he gets out. God dang, he'll recognize what, what's happened, and he'll get his life together. I can remember what I would do. I'd, my wife got to going back to these Al-Anon meetings. She'd come home with a smile on her face. She'd come home, she'd start calling these gals in that program. That'll chap you. <laughs> But I'd sit at home at 
alone, and, and this is on Monday nights, and, and I can remember Little House on the Prairie would come on, and, and uh, <laughs> I'd sit there and watch Little House on the Prairie, and tears rolling down my cheeks, and I'm wondering, what's happened? You know, both boys are running wild, sleeping in the streets, and the daughter, she's in band doing this and doing that, she's having a good time, my wife going to these meetings, she's happy, and I'm wondering, what the hell has happened? <laughs> and what have I done to deserve this? And I can even remember driving down the roads, saying, God, what have I done? What did I do? Where did I go wrong? What can I do to change this? Not knowing. Finally, one night, I decided, you know, if I'm ever going to get to spend any time with my wife, I'm going to have to go to one of them damn meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so I can remember going to the meeting and this one gal saying, what you got to do, you got to fake it till you make it. But hell, I already faked it till I can't make it no more. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'd hear things like live and let live. I thought, God, how dumb, you know. <laughs> let go and let God. It wasn't too long while I'd be walking up and down the milk docks saying, let go, let God, live, let live, let go, let God. <laughs> and I got to where I could make it from Monday night to Wednesday night. I found out it's all right to go to more than one meeting a week. I thought you was assigned to just this one group and you couldn't go to those others because you had to go just to that one. Found it's all right to go to, it's okay to go to more than one meeting. So I can make it from Monday night to Wednesday night. Then I could usually make it from Wednesday night to Friday night. I usually go Saturday night and hear the AA's talk, the open meetings. Then a lot of times I went Sunday morning and that, that's how I, survived. That's how I learned to live, going and hearing you gals talk. And I can remember going, and I was the only dude there. <clears throat> I know what being in a minority is. <laughs> we go around the room, and those gals would be telling you how to live, they say, you believe? No, I don't believe. You believe, we believe. Yeah, I can do that. So that's how I really came to believe. I just believe y'all believe. <laughs> One too long, I believe. <laughs> and I can remember going, and, and uh, way back then, there was some kids that wore these shirts that said, uh, see, I came, came to or came to believe, something like that. Came, came to, and came to believe. That's what it was. So it's kind of took me a long time to finally. I thought, dang, that's that's stupid. You know, I mean, what does that mean? But that's really what happened to me. You know, I think for a long, long time I just came. I just came to fill the seat. Finally, one day, hell, I came to. Woke up, and I came to believe. And it's just the people in the program sharing with me. 
I came to believe that there was a higher power. I came to believe in God. You know, I was just walking down the beach this morning. Boy, if you don't believe in a higher power, just walk down the beach. Just look around. You can, uh, you can just feel. You can just feel the presence of God in this room. You can just feel the presence of a higher power. And it's you people sharing that with, with me. It's what's helped me, you know, make it one day at a time. I had a hard time, I guess, with the concept of disease, uh, the disease concept of uh, alcoholism being a disease. And I guess my daughter was like maybe 16. She started having some trouble with her eyes. And uh, finally, about three, four, or five years ago, she was diagnosed as having MS. So I guess how I relate is I say, well, she did not choose to have MS, just like my boys did not choose to have the disease of alcoholism. I guess, uh, you know, when I first started going, why the first step says powerless over alcohol, and I says, hey, I don't have no problem with alcohol. Uh, I don't understand that I'm powerless, but what happened, you know, I guess but what got me to the meetings was, was really the first half of that first step. And it's taken me all of these years in the program to work on the last half of the first step. And I could not recognize the insanity part of the disease. But I can remember one time my younger son, Mark, um, the guy called my house late one night and says, uh, say, I said, is, is your son Mark at home? I said, oh, yeah. I said, he's in here in bed. He said, well, would you mind going and check and see? He says, uh, my son's not home. So I go in there and I check, and sure enough, you know, Mark's not home. So this guy and I go out for, the, for their building in this edition like at midnight that night. And sit out there on a mountain of dirt and listen and look because we just know that we can see them getting ready to light up one of them left-handed cigarettes. <laughs> and we sat out there till almost four o'clock in the morning. And uh, I went back home. And I sat in his room, and I'm going to tell you, it is a really hard thing to do is, is sit in a room at night and stay awake with all the lights off waiting on your kid to crawl through the window. <laughs> so about uh, almost daylight, here he starts through that window, and I just reached out and just helped him right on through that. <laughs> and I was totally convinced that... Uh, he was like 13 years old at this time, and I was totally convinced that if, uh, if I just give him a good whooping, that by dang he would not do this no more. That didn't help. 
But sometimes, you know, I forget the insane thing that I did, the insane thing that they did. And when I went to the, first started going to the program, it was very difficult for me to accept the insanity part, what they, you know, came to believe that we was insane. But I guess, you know, today I'd like to say, well, everything is well and good in my life and that the program's answered all of my prayers and that uh, my two sons are just doing absolutely wonderful, but I can't do that. My daughter lives down in Corpus Christi. She's a fifth grade teacher. She's gotten married and, and uh, has one son. He's five years old, just turned five this past Monday. My younger son, Mark, he lives in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he's called me a couple of times here since July, and both times uh, he'd been drinking. And that was very hard for me to accept. Until about June or July, I had not seen him in over two years. My older son, I would like to say, is doing fine. You know, he had three years in uh, AA, and uh, one day I said, hey, Mike, I said, uh, I noticed you been missing some of your meetings. And he said, well, that AA is a good place to sober up at. And I knew right then I said all I could say. There wasn't no need of me saying any more. So he went back out, and uh, this has been about five, six, six, seven years ago. And uh, he got in trouble in Texas. I think he wound up all the way down here into Florida. Luckily, he didn't get in trouble down here that I know of. Came back and got in trouble in Oklahoma, and he's done the last six years. Uh, he spent the last six years in confinement there and being incarcerated there in uh, Oklahoma. And uh, so it took me a long time to accept that. Uh, finally, one day I said, if I'm ever going to get to see my son, I'm going to have to just go down and see him. It took me a long time to admit where he's at. I think it took me a long time to admit that he was going to have to spend uh, the number of years that he was going to have to spend. It's like, if I don't recognize it, it's not there. I think they call it denial. <laughs> but finally I wrote him a letter one day and I said, hey Mike, I said, uh, I'd like to come see if it's okay. So I get a letter back and uh, I went down to see him. He was all the way down to Stringtown, Oklahoma, which was about two and a half hours out of Oklahoma City or Norman there. And uh, then he got moved up to Lexington. That was only about, oh, about a 30 minute drive. And uh, so he spent probably three, four years there in Lexington, and then he, since that time he's gotten moved back down to Stringtown, and that's about two and a half hours. But here, not to, and, and, and so me being the kind of parent I am, you know, I want to make his stay because I'm convinced that he's learned his lesson and he's going to do uh, right when he gets out. To make his stay as enjoyable as you possibly could, so every two weeks, I'd send him money. And uh, so I get a call from my daughter here not too long ago, and she said, say, Daddy, says, uh, I got this call from Mike. said he's wanting like 30 bucks. I said, I 
don't understand why he's needing money from you because I send him money all along. She said, well, he told me that finally when I got it out of him that he needed it for drugs. So you say, what does it take? I have no idea what it takes. I just know that the feeling that I had was I was I felt deceived once again. I felt like I'd been led down the primrose path. Uh, I felt anger, like really by God pissed off. Uh, that here once again, how did I how did I get sucked into that? How did that happen? See, we want to believe so terribly bad that the alcoholic is going to quit doing what they're doing, that we'll just, we'll go to any lengths, by God. We'll do any damn thing that there is to do for y'all not to do what you're doing. <laughs> and it is so difficult for me to learn how powerless I am over people, places, things, alcohol it I'm just powerless and it's so difficult for me to to get through my head that the only person that I'm really by God responsible for is me I cannot cannot leave nobody alone it's uh, if everything gets to going good hell that's bad <laughs> it's sometimes you know we keep waiting for it to get good Sometimes it's good and we don't even know it's good. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think it is so good, it can't get no better and we don't even know it. <laughs> Almost three years ago, I guess I, you know, the program, what, what happens is that we learn what we can accept, what we can't accept, what... We will accept what we won't accept. And I ended uh, a relationship, like for a 32-year re relationship with my, uh, my wife, my ex-wife. But I think we spent all of those years just going separate ways. And I think... Uh, the longer we were married, the further apart that we got. And I think uh, what happened to me is the program finally let me get sane enough to say, hey, you're working on an unworkable deal. It's finally, you finally become sane enough to understand that it don't matter how hard you work on this thing, it's just not going to work. It's kind of like, no matter how hard we keep trying to get the alcoholic sober, they don't get sober until they want to get sober. It's just like no matter how hard somebody works on me to do any given thing that they want me to do, hell, I'm not going to do that until I want to do it. Until I finally have suffered, I would not have ever came to the program of Al-Anon until I got to the point where I didn't have no other place to go. Nothing else to do. It's my last resort. And I am so grateful for that. I am so grateful that y'all asked me to come down and talk. It's uh, 
I want to thank the committee for having me. I want to thank you all for the basket of fruit. Uh, I want to thank you all for being a part of my life and letting me share my story with you. And I really appreciate everybody. Thanks.